Hi, I'm Andrea Lorian, Vermont Edition producer, and I just wanted to let you know that the podcast you're about to listen to has been edited for clarity and brevity. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. This is Vermont Edition. I'm Michaela Lafrac. This town meeting day, Burlington residents will have a momentous choice to make. Who should be the city's new mayor? For the past 12 years, that position has been held by Democrat Moreau Weinberger. He's not seeking a fifth term, opening the city to the possibility of electing its first woman mayor in its history. As Vermont's largest city, Burlington has about 45,000 residents. It's one of the centers of the state's economy and a popular destination for out-of-staters. Burlington also faces a number of challenges that are mirrored in towns and cities across the state. A severe housing shortage, drug addiction, and widespread concerns about crime. Today on the show, we are interviewing the two leading candidates for mayor, State Representative Emma Mulvaney-Stanek and Burlington City Councilor Joan Shannon. There are also two independent candidates in the running, Will Emmons and Chris Hazley. Vermont Public is working to interview both of them, and all of these conversations will be available on our website. At the end of the hour, we're going to be joined by Seven Days staff writer Courtney Lambden, who's been covering the mayoral race. She'll help us break down the candidates' platforms and some of the details around campaign financing. We are joined first today by State Representative Emma Mulvaney-Stanek. She's a progressive representing the Chittenden 17 district. Prior to her tenure in the State House, she served on the Burlington City Council representing the Old North End neighborhood. She was also the chair of the Vermont Progressive Party. She founded a social change consulting business in 2018. Representative Mulvaney-Stanek, welcome to Vermont Edition. Thank you so much for having me today, Michaela. And listeners, you can call in with your questions for Burlington mayoral candidate Emma Mulvaney-Stanek. Our number is 800-639-2211. Now, uh, Representative, as we cover the 2024 elections here at Vermont Public, we're using what's called a citizen's agenda approach, where we've asked our listeners to tell us what issues we should be covering. Uh, So we're going to start with a question here uh, from that citizen's agenda, and it's from Harold, who asks, is the city city of Burlington in a time of crisis or a time of transition? And how does the term you select shape your platform? I love that first question. And as someone who was a labor and community organizer for most of my career, I think participation is a great way. And I love the citizen agenda framework. And what a great first question, because I think it offers such a different way to think about Burlington and what is facing Burlington. I would probably say it's it's a little of both. It's both in a crisis moment, but in a transition to look at how we how we really frame out and understand the challenges facing Burlington. We have a lot of economic systems and structural systems that have been failing in the state for years now, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. But it includes housing and the opioid crisis and the breaking down of our healthcare system, which most importantly includes our mental health care system and people's lack of ability to navigate that and to just simply get their basic needs met. And so what we see in the streets of Burlington is deep suffering. And I have such compassion 
and and um, and understanding that we do have this moment to transition from a status quo within how city leadership has been addressing things, because clearly it has not been working. I've lived in Burlington for nearly 20 years. I've never seen things unravel so much as they have. And so I think this is an opportunity to think about it as a transition to what else is possible. Where are the opportunities for us to bring our community back together and to really collaborate and to find compromise and to work together, most importantly, among city leaders, but also all the incredible stakeholders and folks who care deeply about our city to move us forward. Mm. Well, you brought up changing the status quo, and that is a great entry point into my first question for you about public safety. Now, as many of our Burlington listeners know, in 2020, the Burlington City Council uh, voted to cut down on the size of Burlington's police force. This was a push led by members of the Progressive Party. And in the years since, there has been an increase in some types of crime in the city, as well as a a broader backlash against the reduction in police. Now, uh, Representative, you weren't on the the city council at the time. Do you think there should be more armed police officers in Burlington than there are today? And why? So this is one of the biggest questions. And for me, when I talk about safety in Burlington, I very consciously talk about community safety because it's so much bigger than one entity and it's bigger than what we do with police. But to specifically police, uh, because police have a critical role to play in our in our comprehensive community safety uh, system. So when folks call, they need to get the response that they need for the kind of help that they need. And so police play a critical role. Um, I would I am an evidence based decision maker. I do this in the state house every day in my day job. And so we did a critical study out of the work that came out of 2020, which was led by both Democrats and progressives, and signed by the Democratic mayor. That big uh, decision to do community safety differently was a, a bipartisan effort. And so for me, around police, they, they put a study for the CNA report. And that study really talks about the right size police department for sworn officers. But that study also goes into some other critical things about our police system. And that includes the need for bringing on social workers. It talks about culture. It talks about policies that need to be addressed within the city, uh, within the police department in particular. And for me, it also begs a question around leadership. And as a former labor organizer, I want to make sure we have a vibrant, healthy police uh, department that we can be proud of, that the folks who work there, who do, do those critical jobs can be proud of. And we have a lot more work to do than simply adding more officers. We do need a right-sized police um, force. We're not there yet. Um, all police off, uh, police departments around the state have been having a hiring challenge for years now. And for us to really understand what it will take to both recruit and retain these critical police officers takes a much wider understanding of what it takes to um, have a uh, police department that's responsive, uh, that's also engage in the community in the ways we need it. You said we need a right size police force. To be clear, do you think there should be more armed police officers in Burlington than there are today? Well, we're not at the the um, the allocated number of police officers right now. And so the CNA report talks about 87 sworn officers. I, I think that's definitely in the right zone. Um, that report is three years old, though. So I would want to make sure to update uh, based on current information we have and current needs we have. The other piece we don't fully have staffed out yet, though, is are those social work positions. And I also look at our street outreach team, which does has for 20 plus years done critical work around de-escalation and responding to um, to critical behavior issues and whatnot in the center city. We haven't increased um, the funding for that critical part of 
of the mosaic, if you will, of response for years. And I think we have to have a, a comprehensive system because it's not appropriate to send a sworn police officer to every call. There was something that's happened in my neighborhood just the other night that involved someone with a mental health uh, crisis going on. And we don't have yet the medical uh, the medical health professionals who, are, who can respond in a crisis like that. And to me, that's a big disservice to the city. Um, and we shouldn't be sending police officers unless there's something related to a violence or threat in those kind of scenarios. We need to send the right professional who could support that person, de-escalate, um, and make sure there's not a ripple effect of additional harm and escalation, which happened in some in some regard to this event the other night. Mm. Your opponent, Joan Shannon, has said she would reappoint police chief John Murad. Would you? So I think, well, first of all, that's a that's a post-election decision for me. Um, I I am a big believer in continuity of government after a 12-year um, uh, incumbency. I think it's really important, especially with all of these uh, challenges facing Burlington, that we have stable leadership. And I'm going to have a very clear uh, conversation with every department head that's about where is their vision, what is their leadership style. I want to talk to the rank and file within departments and see how things have been going. Uh, I think it's a bit, it's a two-way street with every department department had to understand what they see as the, the needs and opportunities in each department. And I want to make sure I have the leaders who have the humbleness and the, um, the humility to know that they, that they um, sometimes don't get things right, but also most importantly, uh, can think creatively and in a collaborative way to help move the city forward. And if leaders of all the departments um, have that and, can, and um, are aligned with the vision I'm setting for Burlington, then we can find a way to work together. Well, let's move on to our next topic, which is the housing shortage, top of mind for many Vermonters and many Burlingtonians. We got a question from Keith via the Citizens Agenda, and Keith asks, would you encourage and support UVM, the University of Vermont, to house more of its undergraduates on campus as a way to address the city's housing shortage? Another great question. I love the citizen agenda <laughs> style. We do too. <laughs> and I think it's, it's actually it's how I sometimes do things um, with use of social media as a state legislator. It really inspires great engagement from folks and real time engaging with their policy leaders. So for you housing and specifically to UVM, yes, um, part of the trends that have happened over the last 20 plus years or so has student enrollment has increased at UVM. And so that creates more pressure on the surrounding community. And even in my part of the old North End where I've lived for the last 15 to 20 years or so, we now see undergraduate students starting to even migrate into our part of the city, which was really a first-time thing in the last couple of years. But that's because people are having to go further and further from campus to find slightly affordable housing. And I, it's not affordable. I mean, we have a babysitter who lived across the street from us and the amount of rent that she was being asked to pay in an apartment building that I'm pretty sure had some code issues was uh, was astounding. So UVM does need to be a better partner for the sake of both the health of the housing uh, vacancy rate in the city for long-term residents, but also just frankly for students themselves. Students need affordable housing, whether it's on campus or off campus. And I think the, the UVM, um, I hope, would be would grow into being a better partner because the health of Burlington is intertwined with the health and well-being of UVM. And we must be doing um, more to be able to house students on campus and also not forcing things like triples. Um, so putting three students in a room designed for two. Those are the kinds of things that would make a much more humane and healthy and affordable housing system. Zoning question for you here, Representative. Uh, Burlington is in the midst of updating its zoning regulations to address the housing shortage. Now, a 
10-story apartment building is going up uh, in downtown Burlington right now. It'll provide hundreds of apartments for the city. Do you think all Burlington neighborhoods should have zoning regulations that would allow for buildings of that size? Well, I think this neighborhood code process that's underway right now throughout the city is one where I think we have a few opportunities we need to think about. We do need to densify housing. Um, We need to be able to think about it consistently throughout the city. And we also have to make sure that we are aligning where we're building more housing on top of additional important goals in the city, which for me is climate as well as affordability. It makes no sense to be uh, doing densifying of housing without thinking about access to public transportation lines that run up and down the main corridors within the city, or also a deep commitment to affordability, which includes helping folks bring more housing online in the city who aren't necessarily big developers. I would love to be able to figure out creative ways for smaller developers and even homeowners to create a, a you know what is now a single zoned um, parcel into a, into you know a duplex, for example, or a triplex, um, so that they're creating their own economic wealth as well. So I think downtown center city in terms of height is a little bit different than out out into the neighborhoods. But for me, there needs to be, uh, again, consistency around densifying along our main corridors so that uh, the future Burlington 10 years from now is a place where someone can live in the city and not have to have a car, who can live in a city and know that their city cares about climate because we're trying to really keep development um, in places that already have development and can be a little denser and not building on, on a green space that's vital for stormwater water retention and just livability and climate um, mitigation. So there's a lot here. It's much bigger than zoning. Mm. Well, from uh, the housing shortage to uh, the situation experiencing the many, many Burlingtonians uh, who do not have a home, who are experiencing homelessness, uh, camping outside is technically not legal in Burlington, but Many people do it anyway. Some some estimates right now suggest around 300 people per night are sleeping outside. This number increased when the state began winding down its motel housing program last year. Should the folks who are sleeping outside in tents right now be allowed to remain outside? And if not, where should they go? Folks who are unhoused in Vermont, but in Burlington in particular, really deserve our dignity, deserve dignity and humane support from the city. Because the reality is there is literally nowhere else to go. Um, we have a historic moment in this time in Vermont where a record number of people are unhoused. And not every unhoused person is the same. Um, we have folks who have families, folks living with disabilities, folks who are seniors, folks who are still working a job but simply cannot find an affordable place to live. And so I have that very realistic and humane uh, understanding of the challenges that folks are facing. Very few people would actively decide to live in a tent in the middle of the winter in Vermont. And last session, I actually led a coalition of Democrats and progressives to sound the alarm of the abrupt ending of the motel, uh, the general assistance emergency housing program, the motel program, uh, that was going to just abruptly end last year. And while we were able to put some reasonable compromises on the table and, and rehouse or keep certain people housed in the motel program, it wasn't everyone. And that is where we've seen these hundreds of folks be pushed out into the larger communities in Vermont, which includes Burlington, of course. So to me, this is about 
figuring out a humane um, bridge. I've always thought about the bridge from uh, the time we've had this motel program to when we could have permanent affordable housing for folks available and actually built and online. And for me, this bridge needs to include a humane camping policy that makes sense um, and that supports people with 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 the dignity they deserve as the Vermonters that they are. And I think we can do better than the current policies, um, which includes you know, creative thinking around a, a, a place to organize folks, a place to give them some dignity with access to um, things like basic needs, bathrooms and whatnot. So there's more we can do here. Uh, and I think, again, I would bring a very human approach to this. Uh, to be clear, are you saying that you would uh, you would try to change Burlington's campaign policy to allow people to legally camp outside? Yes, I would want to really explore that. I don't think we've gotten it right. Um, and I think when we have people spread out, and whether we're enforcing the existing ordinance or not, when you have people spread out, it's very hard to build the critical relationships these folks need with uh, social services, social workers, um, et cetera, if they're having different people engage with them at different times. I want to make sure that we can build the rapport to make sure people feel supported by their community. And then when they're ready and there's housing available, can be able to be supported in that transition, uh, either into temporary emergency shelters, which we also need to get online quickly. There's there's various pieces of this bridge um, and that I was talking about. And so we need to be ready and have those trusted relationships already built and cultivated with these folks. And part of that is is providing a more humane camping policy for them. We're speaking with Representative Emma Mulvaney-Stanick, one of the leading uh, mayoral candidates for Burlington's mayor. Let's go to the phones. We have a call from Rob, who's in the Old North End in Burlington. Rob, what's your question for Representative Mulvaney-Stanick? Hi. Yes, I own a property on uh, Clark Street, a block from the Elmwood community, the pod community. And since the pod community opened, the safety of my tenants there has dramatically gone downhill. We see, we find syringes uh, in front of the property frequently. There are trespassers on the property trying car doors. Um, there open, there's open drug use. And I'd like to know whether the candidates think this is a success, this community, and what they plan to do to improve and bring the safety back to that part of the, of the city. Thank you, Rob, for your question. And Representative, before you answer, for our folks outside of Burlington, the the pod community is a low barrier shelter with a number of individual pods, very small homes where people can stay, usually as individuals, some couples, and they are meant to be temporary housing while uh, the individuals in them uh, search for more permanent housing. Uh, Representative uh, Mulvaney Stanick. Thank you. I actually just met with the staff at the Elmwood, um, the Elmwood Pods, and they uh, are doing such incredible, incredibly important work for folks, helping people transition into um, housing. But it's been much slower uh, than anyone anticipated, given uh, the realities again of the lack of, of housing for folks to go to. So there's multiple things going on, including in that general area, um, and it's it's very close to also the bus, um, the bus st- uh, station, and various other places where a concentration of folks have. have um, been locating. And so to to needles brings us to substance use disorder. And so for me, one of the most important things Burlington can put into an option on the table is to open a pilot overdose prevention center. The state's currently debating this in the state house. 
we need to have one of those pilots uh, located in Burlington, most importantly because it will save lives. This is a medical disorder that is ripping through our communities. People need to um, be able to test drugs and be able to um, build rapport and, and support with folks who would be staffing these overdose prevention centers who are medical professionals and whatnot. Secondary impact and benefit, of course, is that where they do exist in New York City, for example, these overdose prevention centers reduce the number of needles uh, in the area. It reduces the number of um, the amount of open uh, and uh, public drug use happening. And crime and negative behaviors also um, also go down. I think we know that there's a number of people taking advantage of, of Burlington at its sort of critical, vulnerable moment now, but it's a small number of people. And for me, um, that's where I want partnership with uh, the police and with street outreach team to really focus on the folks causing the most harm in our communities and start to increase uh, visibility strategically to help deter that negative behavior. Um, and that, to me, is is multiple things we have to do at once. And that's why, it's, again, talk about community safety as a comprehensive system. Not one entity is going to solve this uh, to get to the bottom of all these complexities. Well, that is all the time that we have. State Representative Emma Mulvaney-Stanek, the progressive candidate for mayor of Burlington, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for the time. Now we have Joan Shannon with us. She's been a city councilor for Burlington for about 20 years. She's also a former president of the council. She represents the South District, and she is also a real estate agent. Councilor Joan Shannon, welcome. Hi, Michaela. Thank you so much for having us on. We're so glad to have you. And listeners, you should also know that Vermont Public is working to interview the two independent candidates for mayor, Will Emmons and Chris Hazley, on other news programs on Vermont Public. And all of these conversations are going to be available on our website. What are your questions for Burlington mayoral candidate Joan Shannon? Now is your time to ask. Give us a call at 800-639-2211. Now, as, as part of our Citizens Agenda approach to election coverage, we received a question from a listener named Harold who asks, is the city of Burlington in a time of crisis or a time of transition? And how does the term you select shape your platform? Platform, excuse me. Counselor Joan Shannon. I think this is a great question. And, and I've seen some debate online as to whether or not crisis is the appropriate uh terminology for what we're facing. And I think that when we talk about a crisis, we talk about something that really needs immediate action. And I do think we need immediate action. I I also think there's still a lot that's going right in Burlington, and we need to recognize that as well. You know, right at this moment, my office is on Church Street, and Church Street has been looking really good lately. Um, it has it it still has that energy that we love about downtown. And I think we need to be careful to not overstate um, the situation we're in while acting urgently to change the trajectory on certain elements, um, which is the open drug use, open drug dealing, um, and sometimes the associated violence with that. 
Well, let's let's dive into some of those concerns that Burlingtonians are facing, as you mentioned, uh, starting first with public safety. Uh, four years ago, the city council voted to cut the size of Burlington's police force. You voted against reducing the size of the police force. Do you believe there should be more armed police officers in Burlington than there are today? And if so, why? We absolutely need more uh, armed police officers than we have in Burlington today. That is not the only solution that is needed to change our trajectory. But, um, you know, the example that was used earlier of somebody who was in a mental health crisis and the police were called to that crisis, the police were called by the mental health workers who were trying to to help this person, but the person was dangerous. And we do need a police response to back up our mental health workers. And our mental health workers have been very clear about that. At the same time, you have to ask the question, how did we get to, how did this person get to this situation where they're um, they're on the street and they're very much a threat to themselves and others? And that's a failure of um, of our state's system that we need to be addressing. But our police, um, we are at something around 69 officers. Uh, when we were all the way up to 105 officers, we were hearing from people in the old North End that they wanted more foot patrols, that they wanted more police presence. And now we have far more crime, we have far more violence, and we have far fewer police officers. So uh, we need to recruit officers. And in order to do that, officers need to know that the leadership of the city will have their back when they're doing their jobs according to their directives and training. And that is what I have tried to communicate in this campaign, because it is not enough to say we need more officers on one hand and then come forward with a a police oversight mechanism that would not be would would be detrimental to hiring any officers at all. And that that oversight mechanism was strongly rejected by the public, but it was strongly supported by the progressives. So I think that we need to, we do need to hold police accountable, um, but at the same time, we can't be overzealous in that. And our primary problem right now is the need to recruit more officers and creating an environment where they can work successfully creating um, really a bond between the community and the police, because that's a two-way street. Well, one follow-up question there. One of the main reasons the council voted to reduce the size of the police force was because of concerns over use of force by police. Do you think the city's leadership and the police department's leadership has done what it needs to do to mitigate that threat of excessive use of force? We've always had a very progressive police department, and um, we have had things in place to address problems when they arise, but ultimately the goal is to avoid the problems arising. We have focused way too much on punishing police officers and way too little in assuring that they're able to do their jobs effectively 
um, and meet the community expectations. So we have made changes to police oversight and there's room for making more changes, but that has to be done in partnership um, with the police. And they have too often really been shut out of the process. And I've been trying to bring them into the process mm. because truthfully, pol police officers do not like rogue or bad police officers. They don't want to, um, they don't want to support that, but they want fair oversight. Well, and professional oversight. <laughs> well, let's let's turn to make sure we have time to hit other topics here to the housing shortage. We received a question from a listener named Keith who asked, would you encourage and support the University of Vermont to house more of its undergraduates on campus as a way to address the city's housing shortage? Uh, assuring that UVM houses more undergraduates on campus as well as graduate students on campus is essential, but we need to do it in, in such a way that doesn't allow them to house more on campus and also house more off campus. <laughs> so we need to be, we, we need to have a better understanding of the university's long-term plans in terms of enrollment. And that is the piece as we've been negotiating with UVM, we really haven't been able to get that. And with only a five-year MOU and no real um, window to see what's happening at the end of five years, I have been concerned um, with the university's plans and the, the potential impacts of their enrollment increasing and resulting in a greater loss of units off campus. Uh, well, right now, as a uh, member of the city council, you represent the South District of Burlington. And last winter, you pushed to reduce the maximum allowable building height of new developments in the South End. If elected mayor representing the entire city, not the South End specifically, could you see your stance on higher buildings in the South End changing as a way to house more people there? Well, there's always a, a gray area and and a limit, right? So yes, I there was a proposal for eight-story buildings in the view shed from Callahan Park. And I uh, suggested that um, six stories would really, I mean, that is a massive upzoning. So we can all argue, should it be six? Should it be eight? Should it be 10? Should it be 20 stories? To me, going from eight stories to six stories, given the other parameters in this zoning district, it didn't reduce the number of units that could be built at all. So it was not a reduction in density, it was only a reduction in height. And uh, I think that that's consistent with kind of who I have been in the 20 years I've served on the council, I try to consider a lot of different interests as I was in that case. Well, let's take a question from a caller now. We have Annie calling in from Burlington. Annie, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, thank you for taking my call and thanks for hosting this important topic. Um, my question for Joan is that I have seen a lot of evidence 
that incarcerating people for drug use actually has measurable and negative long-term outcomes for not just those individuals, but also for their families and for the whole community. Um, and so I'm wondering why you are advocating for something that data and evidence suggests will not work. Thank you, Annie. Uh, yeah, Joan, I, I, I want to tack on one question to Annie's here. Do, do you think people in Burlington should be arrested for using drugs in public? Yes, I do. And uh, I think that we have seen a lot of that. And right around our school, we're seeing people openly using and dealing drugs. I do not think that it's okay to normalize that behavior. But let's remember that incarceration and and arrests are entirely different things. And, you know, what I have said is that there should be consequences for openly using and dealing drugs in our public spaces, which is our public living room, in our parks, on Church Street, in our downtown. Um, I, I believe that at a minimum, we should interrupt your day as a consequence. And that means um, arresting people. And after, what oh, happens after that is kind of beyond our control as a city, then it goes into the justice system. And I agree with Andy that Annie that incarceration is certainly not the best answer for people who are suffering with substance use disorder. And there should be an option. Um, and I know uh, many people who have gotten sober by having the option of going into treatment or going into incarceration. And most people will choose treatment even though they're not really ready. And that has oftentimes provided the path to get sober. Um, so I, I, I believe that some people, I, I don't think that it's merciful to necessarily let people wait um, when their addiction is affecting their brain and their judgment, uh, some people need an intervention in order to get help. Well, thank you so much, Annie, for your call. Uh, let's turn now to the situation of people experiencing homelessness in Burlington. Uh, as we discussed with Representative uh, Emma Mulvaney Stanek just before this, camping outside is not legal in Burlington, but many people are doing it anyway, usually because they don't have anywhere else to go or there's not a place that is affordable. Uh, this number, the number of people who are sleeping outside has increased by many estimates when the state began winding down its motel housing program last year. Do you believe that the people who are sleeping outside today should be allowed to remain outside? And if not, where should they go? Yeah, this is a really challenging question. Um, communities that are being that are successful in addressing the homelessness in in cities have room in their shelters, and the state has not provided the shelters that people need. And I know that there has been an effort to to keep the um, hotel the hotel program open, but. The hotel program is a completely inefficient program that's unaffordable. That's why it's this constant threat of, of shutting down the hotel program. And 
Why is the state not providing the shelter for the basic shelter for people that they need so that they're not sleeping outside? I mean, if we really want to address people camping, we do have to provide that option. At the same time, Burlington cannot be the only option where people come and camp here because we let you and other communities don't. We cannot house everyone who's unhoused or we can't have everyone camping here um, who's becoming homeless throughout Chittenden County and beyond. Um, so I think that this is this is our challenge is both to create boundaries and we do have a camping policy. I agree with that policy. It's very clear that you cannot camp in our public parks. And you don't it's think it should change. Bit, I do not think you should be allowed to camp in our public parks and it's a little bit more gray in other uh, on other public lands. Um, and there is more process around other public lands to protect people because ultimately it is really a problem when people have no place to go. And I think uh, the state of Vermont needs to provide the social safety net for people so that there is a place for them to go. So you think that should be something that is state funded? It always has been state funded. Mm -hmm. There isn't really another option, even to the extent that we have provided shelter here in Burlington. It's been with state money and ARPA money. And we've done it in such a way that, you know, we cannot keep the pods open because the land is being developed. We cannot keep our other shelter at the VFW open because the land is being developed. So we need, you know, when we're investing in a shelter, we should be investing in a shelter that we can sustain. Mm. Um, and we need to, uh, you know, continue to work on our housing inventory so that ultimately people can move from shelter into permanent supportive housing. Mm. Well, uh, speaking of funding for these programs, on the March ballot, Burlington voters are going to be able to vote on a three-cent public safety tax to help the city meet a $9 million budget gap. You've been a city councilor for 20 years now, and, and that's when I ask you this question from a listener named Seth, who wrote in and asked us, could you speak to how we got into this budget situation and how we can get out of it? Well, we've had a 17% um, increase in um, CPI since our last tax increase, and we're asking for a 4% tax increase here. I think that if we have increased the cost of public safety, uh, as well as the need for public safety, we have um, more drug overdoses that our fire department needs to respond to and street outreach needs to respond to. And we have more violent crimes as well. So, and hiring a police officer costs far more than it, than it did in 2020 at the point that we defunded the police. So I know that our community wants public safety, and if they want public safety, they do need to support public safety with this tax. And I also know how stretched we all are. Um, you know, close to 80 percent, I'm sorry, close to 70 percent of our tax bill is um, from the schools uh, and from the state of the Mont Vermont through the school funding system. 
And we have a huge problem there where Burlington was forced to build a high school when no other community was. You know, we need a high school. So this is, uh, <clears throat> it is, it's really challenging, but I know that public safety is a basic need and what almost everybody is telling me that they want and the taxes required to just preserve the public safety that we have. Well, that is all the time that we have for today. Burlington City Councilor Joan Shannon, the Democratic nominee for Burlington Mayor, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Michaela. Welcome back to Vermont Edition. I'm Michaela Lafrac. If you're just joining us, we just spoke with the two leading candidates for Burlington's mayoral seat. On March 5th, the city will elect its first new mayor in 12 years. Seven Days reporter Courtney Lambden has been listening to our conversations with Democrat Joan Shannon and progressive Emma Mulvaney Stanek. She's also been following this mayoral race for many, many weeks now. Uh, Courtney, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Now, you just wrote a big piece for seven days about the candidates. Uh, one of the main takeaways that I got from it was that public safety is the issue that is dominating the campaign trail. I'm curious, listening to to our candidates just now, our leading candidates, what takeaways did you have specifically around how they're planning to address public safety? Yeah, it certainly is the issue that they're talking about and that voters are talking about. Mm -hmm. So that's, that is how we framed the, the story that came out today. Um, I think what we heard is, you know, both of them are talking about the role of police. We heard both Emma and Joan talk about that. But I think Joan is making a very clear distinction in her just very emphatic um, view of Burlington needs to hire more police and that needs to be our priority, like over things such as police oversight. Um, Emma talks about them, but as you heard her say, it's about more than police. She is more likely to talk about the root causes of problems that lead to crime um, than, than uh, Joan is. So I think that they are both talking about the same issue, but their approach to it is, is different. Mm. Now, you know, the campaigns have also reported their fundraising totals with the Secretary of State's office. Uh, where do the campaigns stand in terms of fundraising? Like, who's in the lead and why does it why does it matter? Yeah. So Joan has raised uh, around $132,000 okay. from people. And that was um, a, a huge haul. Um, that amount at this point in the campaign is almost the entire total of what Mayor Weinberger raised Um during his entire re-election in 2021. Hmm. So, and that report was dated February 4th. So there's another one coming out this weekend. So we'll see how much more money she's raised. That's about twice as much as what Emma has raised. Some people don't put a lot of stock in this. Um, it, it, you know, money doesn't always win an election, but uh, it is, it has been interesting to look at, you know, who's donating to who and, and all of that. And, and Joan has certainly been spending her money on things like, um, T-shirts and buttons and, and all sorts of campaign swag and signs that you see everywhere. So you can see where that money is going. Mm. And what about the two independents in the race? Yeah. So um, Will Emmons, he has raised um, about $650 and is mostly self-funded. He told me that he has spent most of his own money on things like his campaign signs, which have this kind of back to the future uh, theme on them. You might have seen them at yep. various intersections. Um Chris Hazley uh, declined to share with me how much he has raised and spent. Uh, 
if he files a report, that will be available over the weekend. So I'll learn a little bit more. Um, he uh, has mostly, he told me, been relying on media coverage and participating in debates to get his name out there. Mm. And Vermont Public is working to interview both of those independent candidates. And if and when we are able to secure those interviews, you'll be able to find all of these interviews with the, the candidates on vermontpublic.org. What do you believe is motivating the, the two independents to be in the race, particularly at a time when we might see Burlington's first woman mayor? Yeah, you know, um, Will was actually the first candidate to get his petition in to the, the city clerk's office. Um, so he was like on the ballot before, you know, officially on the ballot before either Emma or Joan. Hmm. Um, he ran in 2021. Uh, he only received 27 votes Um I think that he is concerned about a lot of the same issues. Um, Chris, he was truly a last minute um, entrant into the race. Uh, He said that he just didn't feel like the two primary candidates were talking about all of the issues. He he felt like there's too much of a focus, perhaps, on public safety and not enough on economic development Mm. and um, affordable housing. Mm. Yeah, let's talk about housing for a minute. We talked with both of our candidates today about that topic. What were some of the differences in their approach to increasing the the city's housing stock that you heard, Courtney? Yeah, and I can draw from uh, what they told me, too, in my interviews. Joan, um, you know, you heard her concern. She has, you know, she, she very clearly said that, you know, even a six-story building in in that area of the South End was a very dramatic upzoning. There are a lot of people in Burlington that disagree with her, that feel that Burlington needs to grow denser and taller in order to address the housing shortage, severe housing shortage that Burlington has. Um, Emma, I think, has talked less about um, building heights, but she did, as we heard her say, she believes that the, the Burlington needs to densify its housing. So I think that they both do agree on that point. But again, with like with public safety, it's how they would accomplish that that might be a little bit different um, if they were to become mayor. Mm. And, and one of the other things, Courtney, that is interesting and exciting about this race to you know elections nerds like us is that it will be determined by ranked choice voting. What should voters know about that change as they head to the ballot box on March 5th? Yeah, so this is a, a reemergence of ranked choice voting in Burlington. It was used um, earlier, and and voters actually uh, asked to get rid of it, and so now it's back for mayoral <laughs> contests uh, for the first time since two thousand nine. Uh, so it is a new, it's a different looking ballot. It kind of looks like a grid, um, and voters are able to vote for more than one candidate. Essentially, since there are four candidates now on the ballot, they can choose to rank one through four, like in their order of preference. Or they can choose just to rank one if they don't like any of the other candidates. Hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, I think um, with four candidates, arguably that rank choice could play a real role in this. Like if if the if the voting if the voters are split between Emma and Joan, perhaps someone who's voting for Joan wouldn't even rank Emma as a second choice, but maybe they would rank Chris or Will. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, it's, it's interesting and it is new to a lot of voters. Mm. I will say the city website has a pretty good explainer of um, how to read your ranked choice ballot if voters want to check that out. Mm. 
And then briefly here, we have just about a minute left. What will you be watching for uh, in these final weeks before town meeting day? Is there anything you think could really sway the race one way or another right now? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. I feel like a lot of the voters I spoke with seem to have made up their mind. Mm. Um, But we'll, we'll get another campaign finance report. For people who care about that, that might be interesting. Um, the candidates are really putting the final push. There's a lot of events um, and, you know, honking waves and things. I don't know if that makes a difference uh, for anyone, but they're certainly trying to put their faces out there as much as possible. <laughs> well, Courtney Lambden with Seven Days, thanks so much for joining us. Tell folks where they can find your, your big article that just came out. Yeah, f- folks can read the story at sevendaysvt.com. All right. Well, Courtney, thank you so much. Good luck with these last few weeks of the election cycle. Thank you.